series looking at uh, the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And we're going to be looking at the verse, uh, chapter 6 of Matthew and verse 13. And we're going to be looking at this verse that says, Jesus says, pray like this. And he said, pray daily, pray that you wouldn't be led into temptation, but you'd be delivered, but we would be delivered from evil. And in some ways, I don't like that translation, don't lead us into temptation, because it sounds like God is leading us into temptation. And, and James says that God can't lead you into temptation, because he's a father without shadows, and he can't, he can't tempt you. So I, I think a better translation of that is, today, don't let me give in to temptation. Yes. <laughs> Keep Come me on. safe. Don't let me give in to it. So I think the believer is called, and you and me, we're called to live with um, what can be described as confident humility. We're called to live with a real bold confidence and a real humility before God. And we're going to look at the confident part in a moment. But we're called to have this humility that honestly recognises that the most fragile person I know in the world is me. And I love how the message translation puts it. It says, keep me safe from myself and keep me safe from evil. And so Jesus says, this is a a prayer of humility. It's a recognition that actually I'm fragile and and I'm vulnerable. And I'm vulnerable to what Jesus calls here temptation. And I love what one commentator calls temptation. He says it's the baited hook. The baited hook. That temptation is that thing that's on a hook that's designed to entice us, to entrap us, to take us prisoner, to take us off course. And so this prayer is saying, Jesus, keep me safe from myself because I'm fragile. And today, if the hook gets baited around me, I don't want to take it. I don't want to give in to it. I want to resist it. Now, sometimes I've met people, and I think maybe we've felt that about ourselves sometimes. We can be really fearful about ourselves, and we can think, I'm really fearful about my own heart, or I'm really fearful about my own uh, motivation. And we can see a verse like this that says, don't let me give in to temptation, don't let me take the baited hook, keep me safe from myself. And we can think, well, really what I am then, is am I someone with a wicked heart? But the Bible says, no, you used to have a heart of stone, but now you've got a heart of flesh. You actually have a heart through the new birth, through new creation, through coming to Christ, the, the biased of your heart is you want to please God. And that's why Paul says to the saints in Ephesus, to the holy ones, if you've got a bias, you are prone to doing what's right. And we're not to walk around with reading these verses with a kind of fear of ourselves. That really we're, we're these wicked people that can just be led off anywhere and I don't trust myself and I'm, I, I could easily be led astray. Please keep me safe from myself and keep me safe from the baited hook because really my deep desire is to take the baited hook. Now Jesus doesn't say that, the Bible doesn't say that. He says whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Yeah. In other words, I've got a brand new disposition within me that actually loves righteousness, Mm. loves righteousness, loves the things that pleases 
God. He says, I've got a sound mind. I think the right thoughts. I have a tendency to make the right choices, to make the right decisions in every situation I face. That is the truth about the believer, that you are a saint, that you are a holy one, that you are prone to doing what's right. And, and this is such an important thing, because I talked to someone once and they said, oh, we can't really dream with God. I can't really bring my desires to God, because I've got a wicked heart, and I've got a deceitful heart. And I, no, I don't, that's not the truth of scripture. The believer does not have a wicked or deceitful heart. You are a saint, you are a holy one, you are prone to doing what's right. And yet at the same time, Matthew 6.13 is saying, life isn't like war, life is war. Mm. When you pray a prayer on earth as it is in heaven... Yeah. Not just as a liturgical, I going through the motions, but if you really believe it, it's a declaration of outright war. Yeah. It's saying, on earth, in my heart, as it is in heaven, there's peace in heaven, there's joy in heaven, there's hope in heaven, there's love in heaven, there's gentleness in heaven, there's steadfastness in heaven. If I don't see those things in operation in my life, on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to war against it. I'm pushing it out. I'm pressing against it. I'm, I'm saying I'm not going to have it. When we walk in the streets and we say on earth as it is in heaven. And we see poverty. There's no poverty in heaven. When we see unemployment. There's no unemployment in heaven. When we see sickness or disease or any mental health issue, it's a declaration of war. On earth as it is in heaven sets us up in a whole big war that we're an offensive people. We're not a defensive people. The great high point of the believer is not to get through the week without sinning. <laughs> That's not the glory moment. Did really well this week. Didn't sin. Didn't do anything else, but didn't sin. <laughs> it's a declaration of war. See, when Christ died, he conquered our great, great enemies. We are the clear-up mop people. We're the application of the victory. That's why it's go first for the kingdom. Jesus has made a way through his life, through his death, through his resurrection... Now we're saying on earth as it is in heaven. So we're not defensive, we're offensive. So this verse is saying, as I live my life, as I live myself, as I live to be salt, and as we live to be salt, and as we live to be light, and as we live to bring the kingdom, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into a battle here. I'm... I'm, I'm Living my life as a declaration of war. Poverty matters. Mental health matters. Sickness matters. Environment matters. Health matters. Housing matters. Everything that matters to the kingdom matters to me and to us personally. Because it's on earth as it is in heaven. Now as I go into this, keep me safe from myself. And keep me safe from the baited hook. Yeah. I met someone once who said... I will never do, I'll never put, you know the trenches in the war. 
He said, I will never put my head above the trench and fight the enemy because I got shot once. Uh, in, in other words, I'm going to live my life defensive. Hmm. Some other people say, higher levels, greater devils. <laughs> Some people say, I'll never step out for God because of the backlash. I say, I say they're not helpful they're not helpful analogies. I won't put my head above the trench because I might get shot. Or higher levels, greater devils, not helpful. Actually, the most defended person in a war is always the general. <laughs> if you look at how wars are fought, and we are wonderfully protected. The safest place of the believer is on the front line of faith, right in the middle of the battle, right in the skirmish with, with, with the gun, right in the mud of it. That's the safest place for the believer. And so, this verse is then saying to us, as you're in the skirmish, as you're putting your head above the trench, as you're going to greater levels to see the kingdom come, God, keep me safe from myself, and keep me safe from the baited hook. I'm going to win this war through daily humility and a posture of intimacy and trust. That I'm rooting all my courage in the reality that I'm under your observation and care. So Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, he talks about the evil day. And he says that just some days are tougher than other days. Just, some, just in reality, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today you'll have enough trouble of its own. <laughs> There's a promise for you. Today's got some troubles. And James says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Yes, because trials upgrade my faith. <laughs> Though we don't generally ring one another up and say, hey, you won't believe it. I've got a doozy of a trial today. Lucky you. <laughs> What's God upgrading in your life today? Because trials make us perfect, lacking nothing. I've got a, I've got a thing on my phone. On my phone, it's called Upgrade. I have got 667 upgrades. But every time I have a problem or a difficulty or I'm perplexed, I ask, what's the upgrade in this? And then I prophesy over myself. Amen. And then I, I say, then I say, Father, I don't get it. What's going on here? And then he says, this is the opportunity for upgrade. This is the opportunity for your faith to be grown. Amen. So James says that some days are tougher than others. And he also says that we have an enemy who hated Christ and hates us. And he says that this enemy has schemes and wiles. Okay, so we're not going to go, we're not, we're not, C.S. Lewis says temptation comes in extremes. One extreme is I'm devil focused, there's a devil under every single bush, and I'm absolutely now terrified and petrified of everything, <laughs> and I'm paranoid. The other extreme is, well, I'm not aware of anything. I'm not aware of anything. Actually, the, the, the place that he says the safest place is in the middle. I recognise there are evil days and I recognise there are wiles and schemes and strategies and different types of baited hook. And I'm not passive, I'm aware. And I say, keep me safe from myself and keep me safe from the baited hook. Amen. So he has schemes. And we've already said the father is not the one who's tempting. No. And so he has schemes. We're going through the day and sometimes the hook is baited. Wants to get us off track wants to um, um, distract us, wants to take us off course, wants to get us preoccupied with something other than who God says we are and what God has called us to be and do. Mm. Temptation is not 
sin. See, this is one of the lies of the enemy. He says this, the reason that baited hook touches your desire is because you have a wicked and deceptive heart. He says, actually, the temptation is you want it because that's who you really are. Now, actually, being tempted is not sin. And we know this from two important people, Adam and Christ. Adam was perfect. God says he's very good. And yet Adam could be enticed by the baited hook that said, you know, God's withholding something from you. Eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He appealed to a desire and then sin came when he took it and didn't fulfill his rightful call, which was actually to protect Eve. Jesus is the son of God. So Jesus did not have a sinful nature. And yet it says he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So he resisted sin, he resisted temptation to its full force and full degree, and never yielded to it, and never gave in to it. So temptation is not the same as sin, because one of his wiles or schemes is this, the temptation you receive has created a desire in you for it that means you're wicked so because you're wicked why don't you give in to it and that's the that's the lie that's not true actually intensity of temptation can mean you're doing something right instead of something wrong so in the bible it says Jesus received a revelation at his baptism. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit takes him into a place of the desert where he is tempted for a number of days. It was actually the affirmation and confirmation of prophetic promise over him that actually attracted the enemy to put the hook that said, if you're really the son of God, do this. Or, you don't need to go to the cross. I can give you all the kingdoms now. You can avoid all the pain and the suffering of this life. I'll give you it all now because it's mine to give. And Jesus resisted it in every single, every single time. And so, moments of breakthrough can actually be moments where the enemy comes with the baited hook. Moments where we actually encounter God and... We have a moment of revelation and freedom. Can be moments where the enemy comes and just just tests to see, did you really get the breakthrough? Did you really get the freedom? And you really can't blame him for using schemes and tactics that have worked with us all our lives, can you? He's not particularly imaginative. He's not particularly creative. And <laughs> he doesn't come up with many new ideas. And so he thinks if it's worked before, it will possibly work again. And so when you've had a breakthrough and a revelation, and then he comes knocking and says, let's just see, I've got the baited hook to bring you back. Maybe it's despondency or despair or hopelessness. Maybe you've just had a breakthrough on hope, and you're hoping for the first time in an area. He might knock on the door and say, I've just got some hopeless news for you. He said, no, actually, I've had a breakthrough on this. I'm standing firm. And you keep standing firm. So, this, this verse also says that my confidence is not in my ability to self-protect. And it's not in my ability to have a resolve. So, some of us get absolutely exhausted by a verse like this. 
because we're so alert, alert all the time and that we don't realise that this verse is actually saying the good shepherd wants to shepherd you through the day and look after you. That the good shepherd actually wants to lead you, to guide you, protect you and keep you on track. The good shepherd actually wants to speak and cause you to hear so that when you hear you can respond. It's the good shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Now, it means that as we're going through life, he will speak in such a way that we will be able to hear. So if he wants to speak to you and say, I want to keep you on track about this, or there's a baited hook that you just need to be aware of, he can speak and he can be heard. And our response then is, once we've heard, is then to be obedient to his voice and what he's said. Our responsibility is not to be walking through life petrified and paranoid and terrified that we've missed it. That's a lie of the enemy and that's actually a baited hook that you missed God's voice. God speaks, we hear and we obey. I love declaring this every day. Today I declare that my faith is not in my ability to get it. It's not in my ability to hear or even be open my confidence is in God's commitment to lead, guide, protect and do what he has promised. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we'll get exhausted thinking I've got to be alert all the time, I've got to be alert all the time, when actually faith operates in rest. So it's trusting that we'll, he'll speak and we'll hear. Often the baited hook is, is most often in speculations and arguments. That's what 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, that the weapons we fight with, they're spiritual and have divine power to pull down arguments, to pull down speculations, to pull down lofty ideas. Most of the time, the baited hook or the temptation is to think a thought that God doesn't think. And that's why we're called to renew our minds and take thoughts captive. And so it can be thoughts like... Uh, I'm stupid. That, that's actually a baited hook of the enemy. I want you to have an identity other than the identity that God gives you. I'm a failure. Well, that's, that's, that, that's an identity statement the enemy wants you to have. You might have failed, but you're not a failure. Mm. You might have done a stupid thing, but you are not stupid. Mm. It can be things like, it won't work. I feel like I want to laugh at some of these lies because it's a, <laughs> a great habit to have to laugh at the, the lies of the enemy. Mm. It comes as a baited hook to think a thought other than the thought God has for you. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, fight according to the promises of God. Fight according to the prophetic declaration of God. Fight according to the assessment of heaven. What God says about you, how God sees you. Fight according to that. Only choose to agree with what God says to you. It can come with thoughts like, uh, God won't provide in your future. Your past defines you. These are lies. They're not the truth. Actually, Christ defines you. The new birth defines you. Your worst day doesn't define you. Your worst sin doesn't define you. Who you are in Christ is the ultimate definition of who you are. The beloved. God's, God's child. God's daughter. God's son. Yes. One he absolutely Come delights on. in. You're blameless, spotless and wonderfully loved. He's your shepherd and you're his child. Amen. So most of the time... 
the baited hook isn't the big obvious sins, it's just the daily thoughts that we just let pass through our mind and we never ever argue against. So we don't want to be exhausted either by saying, I'm taking every thought captive, you know? And I think that's right because it says we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. I think a more healthy way of doing that is saying the good shepherd speaks and I hear. When he speaks, I hear. And when he points out a lie that I'm believing, I take it captive. I, I make it obedient to Christ. I declare the truth and the promise over my life again and again and again until I have faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to line up to God. That's how I got saved. That's how you got saved. You heard good news and you believed it. That's how every moment of transformation happens. You hear good news and you believe it. And so God speaks and we hear and we respond. And that's the birthplace of rest. As I go through today, I'm at rest. Because I've got a good shepherd who keeps me safe. I've got a good shepherd who lets me know, hey, hey, son, daughter, that's a baited hook. Don't take that. I know that 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 feels true, looks true. Your emotions say it's true. But it's that worm on there is not going to do you any good. Don't take that baited hook. I know that it feels good to beat yourself up. But that's not my way. Avoid that baited hook. But we're also not passive in it either. I think one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare is to have a good understanding of yourself. It's a good knowledge of yourself. Not a knowledge of yourself that comes from introspection, always looking in to find out what's wrong with you. I think the best place we could be is actually look inside and see what's right with us because of who he is and how he sees us. But it's good to have a good understanding of yourself. It's good to recognise when you personally are most vulnerable to the baited hook. Yeah? Yeah? That's a great defence strategy. When are you most vulnerable? Are you most irritated when you're hungry? You know, seriously, is it when your blood sugar levels go down? And, and, And maybe then, rather than say anything or speak... Or, or ha- come to any conclusions about anything, have a Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a healthy alternative. <laughs> Is it when you're tired? Sometimes we, we get tired and our perspective goes all over the place. And we come to conclusions and we say this is what's true and not true. The baited hook can be when we're tired. Can it be when you feel um, you need comfort, where you're feeling pain, where you're feeling frazzled? You know, you've had a hard day, you're disappointed, there's been things going on. And then the enemy brings a baited hook and says, you can numb that pain in a whole variety of different ways. Find out where you are most vulnerable. Know yourself. I heard one story which I think really helps us understand this. A guy had gone over to do um, work in another nation and, and had an amazing ministry trip, an amazing time, seen lots of breakthroughs. And he says, on the plane going, you know, there was nothing that could tempt him in the world. He, he was on a mission. He was going to bring the gospel. He was going to go and preach. He was going to go and heal the sick. He was going to do great things to God. He came back and he realised that when he came back and he was then in WH Smith and you can imagine magazines, he said at that moment he was tempted by something that he hadn't been tempted by on the way out. 
The moment of victory had made him more complacent. And when the baited hook came, the enemy said, don't, don't worry. Don't worry, because you've done it all. And now you deserve some rest and you deserve to relax. He said, no. And, and no unfortunately, he said, no. That's, that, can be, that can be the moment of baited hook. It's, it's not so much leading into the breakthrough. It's when you've had the breakthrough, when you, you go, Phew. Then you feel more vulnerable. It's good to live with this humble confidence of a study of 200 pastors in America who all fell to adultery in the same year. All the 200 pastors, and this can be for anybody, all said the same thing. We never believed it could happen to us. All 200. All 200 said we are, we are, we could never be. All 200 also said our personal devotion and intimacy and connectedness to Christ had dried up a long time ago and that we had become professional, that we were preparing meet preachers, but with no real heart connection to God. And I think that's the balance. It's not living in paranoid anxiety and fear, but in healthy humility before God. I need you. I need to connect to you. Yes. I'm the weakest and most fragile person I know. I'm on a mission. I'm bold. I'm confident. I'm courageous. Wherever I go, the kingdom goes. You're with me wherever I go. But I'm also a child who deeply needs the love, protection, and care of a loving father. So I'm looking to you today. Another thing that can be really helpful, like in buildings, there's fire practice, isn't there? You know, you know where you need to go in the event of a fire. And really, it's something we need to do as a fire drill. Because you need to know when there's a, an emergency, where you go. You don't want to then make it up on the spot. <laughs> and so, the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's some great things to know when the hook is baited. One of them is, this baited hook is, is pretty much the same baited hook that everybody in the world is getting. Because one of the lies of the enemy is, you're uniquely special. <laughs> one of his lovely encouragements are, you are uniquely wicked. <laughs> Untrue. Actually, everybody is tempted by the same things. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. No temptation has seized you except what is common to everybody. Everybody's, everybody is being tempted in the same way. Or there's, there's people who are getting the same thing. So part of the fire drill is knowing, this is not unique. This is not special. And God says a promise. I'll give you grace to endure and I'll make a way out. So I want to know, I want to know as I'm going in today, that my prayer is, I don't want to give in to it. Keep me safe from myself. And if it's, a, if it's a particularly evil day, a wicked day, and there's going to be some baited hooks, there's going to be grace. So I'm getting my mind ready for that. There's going to be grace available. It's not uncommon. And there's going to be an open door. And Jesus said, go into the throne of grace in your time of need, that you might receive grace and mercy in your time of need. And so to finish, I just want to read a few Bible characters and how they <coughs> endured the baited hook and what they did. So Nehemiah, building the walls of Jerusalem. The enemy didn't like the fact that Jerusalem's walls are being built the walls were in really, really bad disarray and decay and burnt and he goes to work. And the first thing the enemy did was ridicule and mock the work and said, this is awful work. If a fox jumped on this wall, it would fall down. 
Nehemiah's strategy was, we just continue. And so when the enemy came with, with threat and violence, he says, we continued with swords or spears. We continue, the trowel in one hand, the spear in the other. We just get on with it. We're not, we're not going to be stopping this great work. We're just getting on with it. When he was tempted by distraction, the enemy came and said, oh, just come down to the valley of Ono. And we laugh about this. If the enemy invites you to a place called Ono, that's a clue. Don't go to Ono, okay? I'm not going to Ono. I'm not stupid. <laughs> so the enemy said, come to Ono. And it says he came to him four times and asked him, come to the valley of Ono. No. <laughs> and he fought the temptation of distraction through saying, I'm saying no because I've already said yes to a great work. Wow. And, the, and the people who are most prone to getting off track by the enemy's baited hook is because they don't know what they've said yes to. And so they're saying yes to everything because they haven't got a clear yes in their mind. Having a yes makes a lot of no's irrelevant. So I've got a yes, and I've always had a yes to the local church. Before I was a leader, paid, whatever, I always had a yes to the local church. And so I never really had to say no to, to for me, going to bed two, three in the morning. Because I've got a yes, which is I want to be fresh and alert. I'm, 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 I want to be where the church has gathered. So having a yes makes... Lots of other things easy to say no to. Jesus, when he was tempted to walk away from his mission in, in the garden, Jesus used declarations to get himself out of the, 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 the flack of temptation. He said, no, I won't put the Lord of God to the test. He says, no, I, I, I live from every morsel of word that comes from your mouth God I don't need to eat stones that have been turned into bread he spoke his way out he spoke his way out of the desert as someone once said Jesus was not the strong silent type he said something you can't always think your way out of temptation you've got to say something you've got to declare something you've got to speak something out that's why it says let the weak say I am strong let the disorganised say, I am organised. <laughs> it's saying something, it's speaking something, particularly in agreement to the prophetic word, particularly in agreement to when scripture is jumped out of you and it becomes that now word in your mouth. Mm. Speak it out, declare yes. it, make it like a sword in your hand and to go out and kill some giants with it. Mm. Jesus, when he was tempted to run away from the cross, he says he, he used prayer and he used the weapon of surrender. Two amazing weapons. So he says to the disciples who have fallen asleep, hey, your, 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 your flesh is really weak, but your spirit is willing. Pray so that you won't fall for the baited hook, so that you won't fall into temptation. Prayer coupled with surrender are two huge weapons to be kept safe. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging with God. I'm not, I'm not just thinking about praying about the temptation, because actually you don't want to pray. You're saying, no, it's what you want, Father. Your will be done, not my will be done. I'm drinking this cup. I'm going nowhere. I'm seeing the glory that's 
on the other side of this shame. If there's another way, Father, let there be another way. But your will be done, not my will be done. I'm surrendering to the humiliation of the cross. I'm surrendering to the shame of it. I'm seeing the glory and the joy on the other side of it. I'm keeping my mind fixed on that. I'm surrendering. Yieldedness and surrender are huge, powerful weapons against the baited hook. In the moment of trust, in the moment of yielding, in the moment of surrender, many temptations fall flat on the floor and have absolutely no power. Elijah, so Elijah in the Old Testament had gone up to Mount Carmel, he'd had an incredible, an incredible moment, do you remember, with the priests of Baal, and they had tried to make fire into the water and burn up the sacrifice, they couldn't do it, he does it, and there's a great victory, an amazing victory, and then he meets Jezebel after that victory, and he gets overwhelmed with despondency, fear, and runs away. An interesting thing there, that temptation had its most fury after a great victory. Mm. And God got him out of hopelessness, fear and despair by sleep and food. Actually, Elijah just had had a really big battle. He really just needed a good, good sleep and he needed some food. And it says God ministered to him and God fed him. So sometimes the greatest spiritual warfare we can do is sleeping and having a good meal. James O. Fraser, one of my favourite ever missionaries in the whole of church history, was reaching out to the Lisu people in China, and it was, he had to learn the language, he was living in a mud hut, it was really hard work. He saw one convert in ten years. One person in ten years. And there's a part of the book where it says, he, there's one man who'd come to Christ, turned away. And so James of Fraser was depressed and despondent and hopeless. And he said there are times to pray, essentially, and there are times to go and do some gardening. And he would restore his soul through doing something that was restorative, something that was restful, almost playful. I'm going to do the garden. I'm going to work in the garden. I'm doing something completely different. I'm not, this is not the p- moment to battle. This is the moment to do something very, very different. Incidentally, James O'Fraser received a prophetic promise from God. God said to him, I will save hundreds of Lisu families. James O'Fraser died of cerebral malaria, but before he died, he heard news that in the mountains, a revival had broken out amongst the Lisu people, and hundreds of Lisu people had come to Christ. So, amazing. So, sometimes despondency can be, what I see with my eyes... It looks hopeless, but when I connect to the perspective of God, I get hope. And sometimes getting perspective means I'm doing something different, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to eat, I'm going to do a hobby maybe. Joseph, it says in the Bible, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife um, to sin sexually, he just ran. He just ran. He didn't stand there making declarations. (laughs) Wasn't the time to make declarations. It wasn't the time to have said, I've made a great yes, I'm saying no to you. He just ran. (laughs) And she grabbed his coat and and, and she had a bit of the portion of his garment. Sometimes it's just, you just run. (laughs) You just run. To finish with, Peter and Paul, they both said this, that thought and consideration are spiritual weapons against the baited hook. Arm yourself with this thought. 
Paul said it, I consider myself dead and alive to the superior pleasure of God. That is pretty much the greatest weapon against the baited hook. I'm already dead. <laughs> Someone once said you can, uh, you can take a corpse along Soho and it won't bat an eyelid. <laughs> Just true. <Yeah. laughs> you, the, 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 the sinful nature is actually dead. And so Paul said the great armoury against temptation of baited hook is I'm already dead. I consider myself already dead, but I consider myself alive to God. That the believer is now free to choose who's going to be their master. So that's the wonderful thing about freedom. Before you're in Christ, you are just ruled by, you've got a sinful nature, and you are ruled by the slave master sin. Outside of that, and you're born again into Christ, you've now got a choice of who's going to be the monarch of your life and who's going to be the king. I'm going to... Gonna, gonna sow to righteousness, I'm gonna be a slave to righteousness, I'm alive to the pleasures of God, I consider myself dead. You know, one of the declarations I make every day is this, we'll finish with this. I'm not anyone's saviour, or even my own. I'm only responsible to be on a journey of living from my resurrected spirit. I'm responsible for changing the way I think and for renewing my mind. But the greatest weapon really is spending most of your time considering that you've got a resurrected nature and you've got an invitation to live in remarkable, radical, glorious freedom. I want to explore that freedom today. Can I invite us to stand? I'm going to pray for us as we...